You're listening to Pastor Ryan Couch at Calvary Chapel of Crook County as he teaches through the book of Luke. If you have your Bibles ready, let's join Pastor Ryan now. Luke chapter 8. We are in the midst of a series through the Gospel of Luke, uh, going through the the Gospel chapter by chapter and and just really uncovering uh, Jesus' life and his teachings and being challenged and, and hopefully being changed uh, as individuals, as we see Jesus and how he lived his life, we see Jesus and his teachings, and we, we really evaluate those things, not just taking them for granted. I think we've heard some of these things so many times that we really don't look at it that closely and say, can you believe what Jesus just said there, to love your enemies? I, you, you know, it's, it's easy for those of us that have heard these things many times uh, to take them and, and not really understand exactly the implications and the ramifications of these things. So it's been a great study uh, through Luke. And uh, we plan on uh, hopefully being done with Luke uh, sometime uh, in the summer and, and uh, move on into the epistles. So this morning we're going to look at a familiar section of Scripture. Uh, one that uh, you've probably read and, and heard taught. Uh, commonly known as the parable of the sower. I think it would be better titled the parable of the soils because that certainly is more of the emphasis, is the four soils which speak of the four conditions of our heart. And that's what we want to talk about this morning is the condition of our heart that enables us to hear, to listen to the word of God and to make application of it, to have it bear fruit, into our life, and, and this idea of listening and how you listen is really a theme of this passage. And there's this game that I like to play, especially on road trips. Some of you might be familiar with it. We played it at family camp last year around the fire, and it's the listen game. And basically, that word listen is key to the game. And so you say to somebody or a group of people, you're driving down the road, and you say to them, listen. If this mic is a box and this Bible is a box, then is my pulpit a box? And man, they're racking their brains and the mic and the Bible, what do they have to do together? What's the correlation? And, and, and they say, yes, and you go, you're right. And then you say, okay, if this piece of paper is a box and my watch is a box, is my head a box? And They're thinking, yes, no, okay, listen. And you do this over and over again until they're so frustrated. They have no idea what's going on. The whole time they've been focused on all the items, and there's only one word that's relevant, and that's the word listen. Every time you say listen, it's yes. Every time you don't say it, it's no. And listen is at the key, is a key to this particular passage that we're going to look at this morning. The word listen, the word hear, to hear God's word, to listen to it properly, to have a heart that is ready to receive it and to have it bear fruit in your life. And so let's read our text and then go back and look at these things. We're going to look at Luke chapter 8, verses 1 to 21. Now it came to pass afterward that he went through every city and village preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons. 
and Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who provided for him from their substance. Now, before we get into the rest of it, I want to talk about verses 1 through 3 real briefly. There's a couple things that I think just sort of jump out to me there. One is the ministry that Jesus had amongst women, which is incredible. Because often people say that Christianity is somehow chauvinistic, that Paul demeaned women. And yet Jesus is the only religious leader the only founder of a religion, if, you, if that's what you want to call him. We know he's way more than that. But Jesus is the only one who actually freed women, who actually spoke with women and talked with women and ministered to women. We remember Jesus with the woman at the well and how counterculture that was for a rabbi, for a man to speak to a woman, especially a woman with all the issues that she had. Another thing that we notice is that this woman, Joanna, is the wife of Chusa, who's Herod's steward, Herod being the king at that time. And so the gospel and Jesus's ministry was not only relevant to the poor, which is a theme of the gospel of Luke, but it's also relevant to the noble, to the rich, to the influential. And we see the gospel even getting into the king's palace. And so today, the gospel, you guys, it should be relevant to women. We shouldn't uh, have traditional values. We should have biblical values. We shouldn't be putting women under our thumb as men. We should be liberating women. We should be freeing women, but also understanding that women have a specific role in God's economy, just like men do. Also, The gospel shouldn't just be relevant and shouldn't just resonate with the poor. It should also do those things for the influential and the rich. And the gospel should be getting out into every possible medium and place. And it says, when a great multitude had gathered, at this time Jesus is drawing huge crowds. And they had come to him from every city. He spoke by a parable. And a parable is simply a way in which you illustrate a truth. The word means to throw alongside of. And so Jesus would have an intended thought and meaning, and he would throw a story alongside of that, which typically would confuse everybody. And then the disciples would ask, what does it mean? And Jesus would go on to somewhat explain it. It says he spoke by a parable. He says, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside. So this was a very familiar scene. This isn't something that Jesus cooks up. This isn't something that they would have to try really hard to understand. This is a very familiar seed, a sower throwing his seed out, planting seed so that he can produce a harvest. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside and it was trampled down and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rocks. And as soon as it sprang up, It withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns. And the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. But others fell on good ground, sprang up and yielded a crop a hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Then his disciples asked him, saying, What does this parable mean? And he said, To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to the rest it is given in parables that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. In other words, parables are given to enlighten those who have a heart to learn, 
and to confuse those that have no desire at all. Because Jesus understood that in the midst of all of these crowds that were following him were people that could care less about his teachings, could care less about the gospel. They were following him because they wanted to be a part of the exciting thing that was happening because crowds draw more crowds, because they wanted to have a free meal, because they wanted to be healed, but they really did not want the essence of what Jesus was about. And Jesus said, I use parables to enlighten those that have a heart to learn and to confuse further those whose hearts are hardened. Now the parable is this. So he goes on to explain what the parable means. The seed is the word of God. And so just like a sower throws out seed, so a preacher, that is not only me, but you as well, starting with Jesus, then given to the apostles, then the early church, and then on through the ages to you and to I, called to be heralds, proclaimers of the gospel. The seed is the word of God. And those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And they have no root, who believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. Now the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. No one, when he has lit a lamp, covers it with a vessel or puts it under a bed, but sets it on a lampstand that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. Therefore, take heed how you hear, for whoever has, to him more will be given. And whoever does not have, even what he seems to have, will be taken from him. Then his mother and brothers came to him, and could not approach him because of the crowd. And it was told him by some who said, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside, desiring to see you. But he answered and said to them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. As I said, the theme of this particular passage is the idea of listening. What kind of a listener are you? How do you hear the word of God? And Jesus illustrates it with four soils that represent four conditions of the heart. Four different kinds of soils by which seed gets sown. The first soil is the wayside. It's the pathway. And during that time, that culture, that agrarian culture, it was very familiar to them, this idea of a pathway through a field. They didn't use tractors. They, they didn't have sophisticated machinery. Everything was done by hand. And so there would be these pathways that would go through the fields and those paths would get hardened with use. And as people would trample the dirt, it would become almost like pavement. And Jesus said that's representative of the hardened heart, of the heart that hears the word of God, maybe has been hearing the gospel message and has been hearing the word preached for decades their entire life, and yet the word just continually gets stolen from them by the devil because there's no ground by which the seed can penetrate. 
And Jesus says something very interesting that the birds of the air come and they swipe it away, which is like the devil coming and stealing the word, taking away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. And so there are those who come to church, who listen to messages, but their hearts are hardened. And in fact, the longer they go in that situation, the more difficult it is for their heart to ever be changed. And so the first condition is the hardened heart. The word doesn't even penetrate. Then there's a second condition, which is the rocky ground or a shallow heart. And this would be ground that from the surface looked great. It would have all the the makings of good ground. It would be just a very thin layer of topsoil though. And once you got past that, you would hit a bedrock of limestone. And so the seed would fall there and it would go down very quickly into the ground. But then the roots now germinated would hit that bedrock and they wouldn't be able to penetrate that. And so what does it naturally do? What does a plant, a flower naturally do? It can't go down, so now it goes up. And when we lived in Redmond, we bought this small house in a neighborhood and we thought it was really cool because it had a garden patch in the back, a raised garden area. And we didn't really do a lot with it. We kind of went out there and raked the top of it a little bit and then we threw out some seed and we were super excited. You know, here it is, May, sun's up, throw out some seed and June comes in July. And I mean, we've got carrots that are like this tall. Like you could feed an army with these carrot tops. So we're thinking if the carrot top is that big, we've got like world record carrots underneath this, the ground here. So we waited and we watered and we waited and we watered. And and finally we pulled a carrot out of the ground and it was that big. Because the ground was so hard that the only way it could grow up or the only way it could grow was up. There was nowhere else for it to go. And that's what Jesus is illustrating. It's the people that, man, they are stoked. They hear the gospel and they are so excited. And they run out and they buy a Bible and they buy a t-shirt. And they are just preaching the gospel at people and they're yelling at their parents over the phone. That, Why didn't you tell me this as a kid? You know, and mom and dad are ticked and... And I mean, they are just on fire for the Lord, but it's shallow. It looks good initially, but then Jesus said, when time of temptation comes, times of testing, difficult times, that person falls away because Jesus didn't meet my expectations. I was so excited, but then when difficulty came, I wasn't expecting that. I thought life was just going to be perfect. I thought Jesus was coming into my life to basically be my personal butler, to do whatever I asked, to be at my beck and call, a genie in a bottle. And that didn't happen. And I'm ticked about that. And so I don't want Jesus anymore. That's a shallow heart. That's a heart that initially receives the word, but falls away. There's a third kind of heart, and that's a divided heart. And this is a heart that too receives the word. This is the soil that not only has good crops in it, but it has thorns in it, and they grow up together. And if you've done any gardening or any kind of farming at all, you know that it's way easier to grow stuff you don't want than it is to grow stuff you do want. You do some landscaping out in your front yard and just watch the weeds. It, you know, And here's this, this bush or this tree that you spent $100 on, and, and you brought a drip system to it and soaker hoses, and it's dead. Like in a week, you know, the heat just got to it. The wind blew it. 
and it's dead. But weeds are flourishing everywhere. And it's, it's irritating. And it's, it's what happens with the word of God so often. Because it's way easier to allow stuff to grow up in our life that we don't want than it is to fight against those things. And this is a divided heart. This is a, a heart that, yes, ha, has a desire for Jesus, has a, a desire for the things of, of God, but also there are a lot of worldly things going on. There's the, the cares of the world. Could be translated worries. You think that's happening now in, in the life of Christians? Maybe in your own life? Where initially you were super stoked about God. And you were growing and you were learning. And there was lots of evidence of that. But then the economy collapsed. And now all those things that I've been taught for years. The, the things I've been taught about the word. About God's faithfulness. About his provision. About how he cares for me. And he will provide for me. Just like he does the birds of the air and the flowers of the field. And God will provide for me according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And we know these truths and these promises. But then Fox News and CNN and the newspaper and all of our friends and the expert for the, with the economy that lives across the street. He doesn't have a dime, but he's an expert with the economy, right? We all have those people. They're all saying that the world is coming to an end and we've, we've taken it in and we've taken it in. And now it's in competition with the word of God where we're now fearful and we're making decisions based on fear and worry and anxiety because we've been told that our world is coming to an end. There are emails and Facebook messages being propagated out there by well-known speakers and authors saying that the world is coming to an end, that God is judging this nation. He's, gonna, he's pouring out his wrath, and this is how it's coming, and that everything's going to burn to the ground. Well, we know that's true biblically, but I don't think that God wants to pour his wrath out on me. I don't think God wants to judge me. God judged Jesus. He poured his wrath out on Jesus. And so these emails that are coming that are only bringing more worry and more fear, we have to set those aside and trust in the word and allow God's word to penetrate our hearts and to produce fruit in our lives, not worry, not anxiety. It's not only that Jesus said that chokes out the word, it's riches. That's why Jesus said the, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And so you've got the word of God that can root in your life or riches that want to take root in your life. And it's very difficult to be a person who is focused on money and a person who's on fire for Jesus. It's difficult. Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. You'll either hate the one and love the other, or you'll love the one and hate the other. You can't love both God and money. And so riches choke out God's word. And also the pleasures of life. Some pleasures being sinful in and of themselves, but other pleasures being just fine when in the context of godliness and in moderation. In other words, it's okay to enjoy sex when done in the context of marriage, and there's no need for moderation when it's done in the context of marriage. But then, then, there's, then there's also things like alcohol. That some want to say, that's just bad in and of itself. But the Bible doesn't say that. In fact, Jesus, we just saw last week, was called a wine-bibber. And so clearly Jesus enjoyed alcohol, and it was part of 
that which brought him pleasure, and so there's nothing wrong with that, but when not done in moderation, it's no longer pleasurable, it's destructive, or entertainment. There's nothing wrong with entertainment, there's nothing wrong with enjoying a good TV show, or a movie, or a great book, or a vacation, but when that becomes the focus of your life, and you live for entertainment, you see these people, just live for entertainment, and that's why it's Thank God it's Friday because I'm living, I'm existing for pleasure. And when that begins to happen, it chokes out the word. What could have been good in and of itself has now become so much the focus that it's choking out God's word and God's work in your life. And so that's a third soil, the thorny soil, a divided heart. And then there's a fourth soil that's a a good soil. And when the seed finds that soil, it is able to go down and produce an amazing root system that will nourish it. And it can spring up to produce fruit, Jesus said, a hundredfold. And this speaks of receptive hearts. Hearts that are soft, hearts that are ready, hearts that not only hear the word, but do the word that want to act on it, that want to apply it. And so what kind of a listener, what kind of a heart do you have this morning? Is it a hard heart? Is it a shallow heart? Is it a divided heart? Or is it a receptive heart? And that question, what kind of a listener, what kind of a hearer of God's word are you? What kind of a heart do you have for God's word? That question has huge implications. And there's at least four in our text. This morning, four implications of how important this is of what kind of a listener and a hearer you are as that runs through this entire passage. As Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear Jesus quoting Isaiah when asked about the parable said, look, I speak to you in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. In other words, if your heart's hardened to God, you'll never see. You'll never understand. And Jesus in verse 18 said, take heed how you hear. And so listening and hearing, it's very important. Paul said in Romans 10, 17, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so you have an amazing opportunity as a Christian living in the United States of America to hear the word of God. We are privileged. There's lots of places around the world that don't get to hear the word of God taught and read publicly. But not only that, we are saturated in our culture with the word. It's on the radio. Sometimes it's on TV. You've got to be judicious about what you watch, especially when it comes to Christian programming. But it's on the radio. It's on TV. It's on the internet. Do you know that you can receive a better education than any pastor would have been able to receive seminary trained pastor a hundred years ago on the internet there is scores of resources and teachings on the internet and and most of it's free and so we have an amazing opportunity to be listeners and hearers of the word so that it produces faith and fruit in our life but what kind of a listener are you because just hearing it is not enough as has been proven by many people who have heard the word of god taught who hear it here every week and leave being unchanged. And there's four implications that I want us to look at regarding how important it is to be the right kind of listener 
to have the right heart when it comes to the word of God. First of all, our salvation is dependent upon it. Look at verse 12. Jesus speaking about those by the wayside, those seed that fall on the pathway. He says, the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should be saved, lest they should believe and be saved. Our salvation is dependent upon what kind of a listener you are. If you have a hard heart, if you're content to just hear it, but do nothing with it, you'll be unconverted. A second implication is that our endurance relies upon it. Verses 13 and 14 speak of those two soils. One being a shallow heart, soil that looks good from the surface, but you get down a couple inches and it is nothing but bedrock. And that's like the person that springs up very quickly, but then dies off just as quickly because things got difficult. But there's also people who have a divided heart who maybe don't spring up as quickly and and maybe they're not quite as much a flash in the pan, but there's always things in their life choking out God's word. And they really never can bear fruit because there's always something. There's always a care over here. There's always a catastrophe, a calamity. There's always something that is keeping them from God's perfect plan for them. Maybe that's you. It's just like running from one travesty to the other and and never getting out of it. And it's always existing in that and always worried. and, And the sky is falling. The cares of this world are just absolutely entangling you and entrapping you and choking out God's word in your life. Or it's the riches or the pleasures of this life and you have a divided heart and you've choked out the fruit that God wants to work in you. And so our endurance relies upon it. Our endurance as far as not only making a profession of faith but being able to continue to live by faith. See, the Bible doesn't talk about this 20th century notion that I just go forward for an altar call and I'm good. I challenge you to find that. In fact, I've been asked here at this church why we don't do more altar calls. Not that we don't do them ever because I think there's a place and there can be a time for them. But I've been asked, why don't we do them every week? In fact, I've been asked more than once. Why don't we do them every week? I think we ought to do them every single week. And I've challenged people, well, I want you to find it for me scripturally, an altar call. The very first gospel message ever preached by Peter on the day of Pentecost, he didn't give an altar call. They came to him begging him, how do we know God? See, because the gospel, you guys, is not something that I lay out for you and then you decide what you think about it. That's how the gospel has been presented for for a long time, is that I'm going to roll it out the like a sales pitch, right? Here it is. Here's my amazing vacuum, and I'm going to show you. I'm going to throw some dirt on the ground. I'm going to show you what this baby can do. And it's pragmatism, basically. It's basically saying, look what the gospel has done for me, and it will do it for you. It's like some kind of a sales pitch. That's not the gospel. The gospel is more of of something that is spoken by God, a decision by God, a verdict that is handed down by the ultimate judge. And so you either yield to it or continue in rebellion against it. Just like if you go to court and you are condemned as guilty, 
That's the verdict that's laid down. Guilty. Therefore, you will spend this much time in jail, or you will pay this fine, or you will do this amount of community service. You don't get to say, well, I'm not really sure what I think about that. Let me try it on for size for a little while and see if I like it. See, that's what the gospel is. It's more like a verdict that's been handed out. You don't get to decide. You don't get to, to, to wonder if this is going to work for me. It's a verdict that's handed out, and you either submit to it or you're in rebellion against it. And that's how the gospel demands to be preached. And so for too long, people have been given this idea that, well, I came forward at an altar call 20 years ago at a youth retreat. I'll never forget it. They were playing, come just as you are. And the music was, was perfect. The lights were low. The youth, pa- oh, I'll never forget. It was the greatest time of my life. Hasn't meant anything to me since, but I came forward that day. Because that's an amazing way to release your faith. That's an amazing way for you to begin this journey called Christianity. But that is not ever spoken of as what it means to be a Christian. Christianity is enduring. It's day after day of walking in faith. The just shall live by faith. Because there's a verdict that's been handed out and it never changes. And I either yield to it or I'm in rebellion against it on a daily basis. And so our endurance relies upon it, upon how you listen, how you hear the word of God. What kind of a listener are you to the word? What kind of a heart do you have? If you've got a shallow heart or a divided heart, you won't endure. Oh, you might look good for a while as long as everything's going well, but when things are hard, you're going to quit. When something else that is more attractive, that's more appealing, you're going to go after that. See, that's why the whole sales pitch notion of the gospel doesn't work. Because if I find something better, then I'm going to run after that. And it chokes out the word in my life. And so our salvation is dependent upon it. Our endurance relies upon it. A third implication of what kind of a listener are you is that our fruitfulness hangs on it. Look at verse 15. But the ones that fell on good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble or a sincere and good heart, keep it. They keep it. They apply it. They work it out in their life. And they bear fruit with endurance. And so our fruitfulness hangs on it. I don't think there's a Christian alive that doesn't want to bear fruit. But how many of us struggle and we think that it's about me trying hard and me working at it and me making it happen? And that isn't the case at all. It's not about you running after another seminar or getting a hold of that book or finding that teaching tape that everybody's talking about. You got to get a hold of this. It will change your life. It's simply about letting the gospel have its work in you. And letting it produce fruit. Just letting it. Just allowing it. Jesus talks about it in John 15. Abide in me. Read John 15. And I challenge you to find any kind of verbiage that talks about you working hard. It talks about that you're the vine. That you're the branch. You you just hang out. And by virtue of hanging out, fruit will begin to be brought about in your life. And that's why Paul said in Ephesians 2.10 that the works that God has for us or the fruit that God has for us is a natural byproduct of having a relationship with Jesus. It's already been created. You just need to walk in them. And so it's not about trying hard. It's about abiding in Jesus. And so when you hear the word of God and you read it and you hear it 
and you allow it to penetrate your heart, fruit is the natural byproduct. And that's why we want to teach the word to you. That's why we want to get together and we want to open God's word and I want to read it. I don't want to just read a couple verses to get on to what I really want to say. I want you to be saturated in God's word. This is the most important thing, is God's word. And when you allow your life to be saturated by God's word, fruit will come. And so your fruitfulness hangs on the condition of your heart, the kind of listener you are to the gospel and to the word of God. And a fourth implication is that our effectiveness in spreading the gospel hinges on it. Look at verses 16 and 17. No one, when he has lit a lamp, covers it with a vessel or puts it under a bed, but sets it on a lampstand that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. Therefore, take heed how you hear. For whoever has, to him more will be given. And whoever does not have, even what he seems to have, will be taken from him. So fourth implication is that our effectiveness in spreading the gospel hinges on the kind of listener we are to the word of God. We all want to, as Christians, to make more Christians. We want to spread the gospel. We want to make disciples. That's not a suggestion by Jesus. That's a command to make disciples. But again, like bearing fruit, this is something we find really hard to do. Does that mean I got to go door to door? Does that mean I've got to make a fool out of myself at work and alienate my family? Does that mean I got to like pass out, you know, goofy tracks and stuff? Does that what it means? And Jesus, I think, would tell us, no, that's not what it means. Your effectiveness in spreading the gospel hinges on how you receive the gospel, on how you receive the word. And this idea of the light here is the same idea as fruit in the other parable. It's the same thing. It's the result of God's work in you. When God and his word are planted deep in your heart and you have healthy roots, you will produce lasting fruit. When Jesus, who is the light of the world, enters your life and he consumes you, you can't help but to have it shine out of you, right? And people will notice. You see, people will notice fruit. God's word goes into your heart. There's an amazing root system that is formed in in your life, in your inner man. You have a soft heart, a receptive heart, and fruit is born. Now, have you ever seen a tree eat its own fruit? Fruit is always for somebody else. And so people come along and they eat of your fruit. It's just natural. They eat of your joy and of your peace and of your kindness and of your faithfulness. I forgot all the rest of them. You know what I meant. They eat of these things in your life, your patience. People want that. And when we don't have it, they know it. It's like going to a tree that is barren. You walk up to a tree and you see there's no fruit on this thing. That's a real bummer. People notice that. People also notice when there's fruit just exploding off of you, and they want that. They want to partake of that. And it's not about, you know, fumbling through a tract or or knocking on a door or, or making a complete fool out of yourself or alienating your whole family. It's just about living life and letting people partake of your fruit. I'm not saying we shouldn't preach the gospel. We ought to, but it should be with a consistent lifestyle so that people are partaking of our fruit, hearing the message, and man, it's an amazing combination. Also, as Jesus is in our life, he's the light of the world. He shines forth from us, and we don't hide that, as Jesus said. You don't light a lamp and then cover it with a sheet. 
You don't light a lamp by your bedside. You're going to read a little bit before you fall asleep. You light a lamp and then you stick it under your bed. That would be stupid. Jesus said, you light a lamp and it shines forth so that people can see. And when you allow Jesus to just shine forth from you, people will want that. And so the effectiveness, your effectiveness in spreading the gospel is absolutely linked into what kind of a listener of the word of God you are and how receptive your heart is to it. And Jesus implores us to not only be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word. That's what it means to be a right kind of listener. Not only to have an ear, but to have an ear that hears and does and understands. See, I can hear lots of things. Men are really good at this. We can hear our wives talking, but have no idea what they're saying, right? We all know that. And about five minutes in, she's like, right? Don't you think that's amazing? And you're like, um, yeah, that was a great play. She's like, no, no, not that, what I've been saying. And, oh, I'm sorry, I, I haven't been listening. And then she gets mad and slams doors, and now there's a fight. But you heard noises. You're not deaf. You heard things. Sounds a lot like the, the mom and dad on peanuts over the phone. Wah, 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 wah. And, you know, you're, you're kind of uh, giving the obligatory nod as you're watching the game. And then the question comes. No, not the question. Not, not anything that I have to give some kind of proof that I've actually been listening. And see, that's what Jesus is saying. Have the right kind of ear that not only hears sounds, but understands and does. And that's by having a heart that's prepared by God, that's soft, so that you can receive the word. And Jesus implores us to not only be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word. And James says the same thing in James chapter 1. Many of you, many of us, many Christians have been hearers of the word for far too long with no doing. And that's what Jesus concludes this section with. His mother and brothers came to him. They're always trying to, to come and rescue him from what they perceive to be his insanity. Come on, Jesus, just come back to Nazareth, get involved in in the carpentry trade, please. You're making us look bad. It's mothers and brothers, they're there to rescue him. They could not approach because of the crowd. And some told Jesus, hey, your mom and your brothers are outside, they want to see you. Jesus said to them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Jesus was intent. That's what I love about Jesus. He doesn't really pull punches. He's not really worried about how that would make his mom and his brothers feel. My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. If you want to rightly relate to Jesus, then you hear his word, you receive it, you let it go down and produce deep roots that will then produce massive fruit in your life. The writer of Psalm 119 said, open my eyes that I may see wondrous things in your life. That's the kind of heart we want to have. Open my eyes. God, I want to hear from you. God, and more than that, I want to hear from you and I want to do what you say because sometimes, a lot of times, you guys, he's going to say things to you that you don't want to hear. He's going to challenge you in his word in ways that you don't like. And so you don't get to have it both ways. If you want to be a person with a receptive heart that produces fruit, you've got to be a person that takes everything that God says and have a heart to do it. Whether or not it's convenient or conducive. And so what kind of a heart do you have this morning? I pray that you have a receptive heart. Not that we can read a lot into it here, but the percentages aren't good of those that hear the word and actually receive it and bear fruit. Percentages would say 25%. I'm not saying that's some magical number that is always the case, but Jesus makes it clear probably three out of four people are going to hear the word and reject it and not 
ultimately bring fruit. Oh, they might initially accept it, but ultimately they're rejecting. They profess to know God, but their actions say they don't know him. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power. So what kind of a person are you? What kind of a heart do you have? What kind of a listener of God's word are you? I hope, I pray that you have a soft heart that can receive God's word and produce fruit and let his light shine through you so that you can touch other people's lives, that you're a hearer and a doer of God's word. Let's stand. Father, thank you for this time in your word. God, thank you that we have so much opportunity in this country to hear your word, that God, we have a church that loves your word, that preaches your word, that God, we're able to go online and and hear any number of teachers or read any number of books, listen to conferences. God, there's so much available to us. But God, I pray that in the midst of the overwhelming amount of information and teaching and availability of your word, that God, we wouldn't grow callous that we wouldn't take it for granted, that we wouldn't be jaded, that, Lord, we would have soft hearts that receive your word and allow you to produce fruit for your glory. God, do that work in us this morning. God, we ask for soft, receptive hearts. God, break our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name. You've been listening to Pastor Ryan Couch of Calvary Chapel, Crook County. For more information, you can write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon, 97754. Thanks for listening, and God bless.